As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman, and Bruce and I are joined today by the Athletics' Nicole Auerbach. We've got several topics in the news from the past week that we would like to get to with you, Nicole. And let's start with the the, the Friday news dump that Mike Bone, USC's athletic director, has resigned effective immediately. And you got to love the PR attempt they did here, where... Uh, his initial statement was about how he, he, you know, it was the right time to walk away health concerns. Um, USC puts out a statement thanking him for his time. And, but all three of us are like, yeah, this is suspicious. <laughs> you don't resign effective immediately on a Friday afternoon if there isn't something more there. And sure enough, it turns out that, that they they had hired an external law firm to conduct an investigation into the workplace culture there uh, in the athletic department. This is a firm that specializes in sexual harassment and misconduct allegations, and several staffers expressed concerns about Bone uh, and how he, you know, unwanted physical touching with women and just generally making people feel uncomfortable. Um, Just even the time, but even the timing of this, you have no interim announced or anything. As you said, Friday afternoon, I think for anybody thinking rationally, you'd be like, okay, something really shady is going on behind the scenes. This is not like, oh, this is a health reason and everything is just smooth. I think everybody saw through that right away. Um, Nicole, your reaction when this kind of dropped? Yeah, exactly the same as what you just said, Bruce. I, I think it was pretty apparent that something had gone down, something had happened. Very quickly, I started hearing from folks that were at the Big Ten's meetings this past week in Rosemont and they were like, you know, Bone wasn't there. I thought that was odd in the moment. And obviously looking back on it, they're like, all right, well, something was happening. And, you know, we, we didn't know for a few hours exactly what had, had led up to this. But you, you don't end a career or say, you know, it's time to hand off to someone else for the transition to the Big Ten with an abrupt 
effective immediately resignation, you would finish the school year, you would finish the summer, you know, you would have some overlap period with your successor. And so that's where all the, you know, red flags should start. And, um, you know, I think that it was, you know, pretty disappointing to find out, you know, exactly what was, was going on. And I'm sure we don't even still have the, the full picture, but absolutely like you don't have a news dump like that. Even if the subject tries to get out in front of it and say it's mutual and that, you know, it was time to step down, uh, People need to be more skeptical than that because th this is just not how our business works for a decision or announcement that like it's a positive or neutral one. I'm going to read some specific details from the LA Times story. Basically, what happened, guys, from what I understand, is even even Mike Bone, you know, uh, surprised people with the timing. Kudos to Ryan Karchi from the LA Times, who's been all over this story and who I just found out is a former was he Michigan Daily? Yes, of course colleague of Nicole's and our colleague Chantal Jennings. So mm -hmm. there you go. Small world. Bone made inappropriate comments about the physical appearance of female colleagues, including remarks about their dress, hair, and weight that staff members said made them feel uncomfortable, according to USC sources with knowledge of the incidents. Three USC sources said several people confronted Bone about comments they felt were inappropriate, but the comments continued. And guys, here was, here's where this story takes another level and raises some serious questions about what the hiring process would have led to Mike Bone being hired there. The concerns go back to Cincinnati, and he's got two Cincinnati people on the record. Uh, former head athletic trainer Rob Williams told the Times he saw Bone make unwanted physical contact with women on several occasions, including touching their shoulders or backs in a way that made them visibly uncomfortable. Kim McGraw, former director of business affairs, said she saw Bone make unwanted physical contact with women, including squeezing their shoulders and putting his arm around them. She said the interaction she witnessed made her skin crawl and the women visibly uncomfortable. Um, when you hire an athletic director, you hire a search firm. You're supposed to vet the candidates. Now, with the caveat that none of the three of us knew about this, so I'm not saying like, oh, we knew, so you should have known. Well, not, but you would think you hire a search firm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And from you know what I've been told through this was – he was quote fully vetted and other presidents really loved him. And this information was not out there, but the information ultimately did get out there. And here's the issue to me guys beyond anything is USC of all places, given the, the nature of some of the scandals they've had and they are fallen to this realm of sexual misconduct and, and some really horrific stuff. That's what USC was, had been, some of what USC had been dealing with. It has had a massive PR, um, beyond just PR, HR issues. So the fact that some of this stuff was known, at least by people at, at his previous stop, they didn't vet it thoroughly enough. I don't know how else you could say it, uh, you know, unless these two other people are, who are on the record to the Times are making this up, right? I mean, it's just kind of like, only USC seems to sc keep screwing this thing up. Like the people we've talked to, you know, for the athletic, as we work on this are all like, this is, this is a, U such a USC thing where they keep getting it wrong with their hires. Right. When we all heard Mike Bones name come up for this job, it was like, really, it was kind of an underwhelming hire because he was not, you know, we all talked to athletic directors. I remember I did a, a long piece, um, at my previous place where it was about 
who does the media think is a good AD? And then also who do ADs think is a good AD? Nobody talked about Mike Bone, right? He had a really underwhelming tenure, at, to say the least, at Colorado and then at Cincinnati. And then the USC hired him. And for the most part, look, some things have got, you know, they feel like they almost lucked into Lincoln Riley the way this played out. But beyond that, um, I don't know. This is like if you're USC, you can't have this happen. And they they seem to have stepped in it again. Yeah. And in the the search firm piece and the background and the vetting piece is the the most frustrating part is like we we talk about this a lot. Right. Of like, you know, everyone hires search firms to kind of shield who they're interviewing or give them like plausible deniability. Or again, the whole point is supposed to do for background checks to figure out good candidates. Um, so, you know, you're spending these, this money on these search firms for these positions, these administrative positions, in addition to coaching positions. Um, and, and then to have something like this happen, I, I just feel like is inexcusable because you, that that's what you hire someone for. And also even without that, you're supposed to be doing that. And if there are colleagues and people at Cincinnati who felt this way or that he wasn't, um, trying to, Really, like if, if Cincinnati was okay with him leaving and, and you know, just sort of the circumstances of the departure, I, I just think you've got to look into all of this. And, you know, are you are you not talking to the right people around in, in office? Are you only talking to, you know, people that that person, you know, advanced and promoted and supported, whatever that might be? I mean, th that's part of doing a background check is you have to talk to people who don't look like the person who you're hiring and see how they treat other people. And that's what's really disappointing in, in all of this is like there's just sounds like there's just like lots of examples of um, creating a culture that was really uncomfortable um, to the point where I'm sure it affected people's work and, um, and and just how they felt about things. Color me completely unsurprised when this came out Friday because I have a one quick personal experience. I was there at USC last year and I did a sit down with him, Mike Bone. And the on the record stuff was was fine. We were talking afterward about a completely different subject. And he said something about women that made my skin crawl. And his and a woman who I believe is his assistant was working like right on the other side of the door could definitely have heard that. And I'm thinking, I bet he says this stuff all the time. I bet she overhears it. And I have no idea if she's one of the people that complained or not, um, but fits the it fits the pattern. Uh, I just real yeah. quick, it, it's one of those situations that I think we've all experienced this since the news broke on Friday, where like sometimes something happens and everyone's shocked, right? It's like you know when you have like some crazy thing and then people like you know on the local news go and interview a neighbor and they're like, I had no idea he was a nice guy. This was one where people are like, oh, I could see that. Or, yeah. oh, like the example that you just said, Stu. Um, so I, I think that that was immediately like, okay, I can see exactly the the red flags here that would have led to an investigation and problems. So specific to USC, and you were alluding to it earlier, Bruce, I think this is really frustrating for USC fans because they thought they finally had the right AD. Um, I remember specifically on this podcast – you were driving somewhere, I want to say in like Alabama, and we were recording the podcast. And in real time, I told you that, that the news had just broken while you were driving that USC had hired Lynn Swan as an AD. And you said, I'm, I think I almost drove off the road. 
like they went through a decade of just hiring their their cronies from the USC family. And that's how you end up with a with the Clay Helton situation where Pat Hayden gave him a guaranteed contract and then Lynn Swan doubled down on it. And that thing went on forever. Um, you had the varsity blues scandal that went on that that USC's athletic department was directly involved in. So Mike Bone in his time. Can I correct you, know, you on one thing, Stu? Yeah. That it was a decade. It's way, way more than a decade. It's a generation of that, right? You had Mike Garrett. Mm-hmm. And after Mike Garrett, it was Pat Hayden. But Mike Pat- Garrett got a bit of a pass because that was, he hired, he hired. Uh, yeah, it was Garrett. his fifth choice. But yeah, but no, but I'm saying it wasn't just Lynn Swan. There was Pat Hayden. Remember, they hired Sark. There yeah. was no vetting that's hiring Steve Sarkeesian. You know, that that unraveled in a hurry, right? So I, I think it's more than just, you know, again, I'm not, I don't want to defend, you know, the hiring of Clay Helton on here. But there was a lot more other things that you could point to beyond that. And it's that's why it's like if it was just a decade, it was way more than that. So the point is, then Mike Bone, under him, they hired Lincoln Riley. Home run, you know, paid off immediately in the first season. And then, of course, the Big Ten move. And we can, we can, you know, there's a lot of people involved in that, in that whole situation. I, I'm not going to say that Mike Bone engineered them going to the Big Ten. But it happened under his watch. And that was a big deal. And so... Now you're without an athletic director. Nicole covers like the, the big 10 side of it very closely. Um, I can't imagine there's a lot they have to still figure out. And now it's probably gonna be months before they hire a new AD. Yeah. There's, there's a, a ton of logistics and, and challenges and travel issues that still have to be worked out. I mean, if you think about it, the, the like big 10 administration had been going out to LA meeting with folks at USC and UCLA to work through these issues for a few months now, they had been coming to meetings. Um, It's, it's definitely just an interesting wrinkle in all of this, that the commissioner and now one of the athletic directors who orchestrated this deal are no longer there. So you have Tony Petiti stepping in and, and maneuvering everything that they need to do from the big 10 side. And then you're going to have a new athletic director um, from USC. And so they're like, they have not even officially figured out how are they going to get, you know, enough soccer games in? Like, are they going to play a bunch of soccer games in like a round robin format somewhere in like Indianapolis to get a bunch of league games in? Like, how is this going to work in all of the sports? How are the travels going to work? And again, the academic piece for the schools, for the athletes at the LA schools, because they're going to be the ones doing the most travel. There, there's just still so much that needs to get done. And obviously, you know, you have a little over a year to do it, but this obviously throws a wrench in that. Obviously there's other senior leadership that would be involved in the process, but um, it just, that's what's so stunning about the timing and initially got me thinking that clearly something happened, which is the truth, because the whole point of this type of like, everyone likes to call it like the integration of USC and UCLA like you, you do need some continuity and some consistency across who's making those decisions to help them integrate as seamlessly as possible. So that's going to be a huge problem. Um, again, as these meetings have been ongoing, as like decisions need to get done and logistics need to actually get figured out for next year. So <clears throat> changing gears a little bit, people can't get enough of realignment. It's the it's this gift that keeps on giving. And last week we had the ACC meetings, and gosh, talk about airing your dirty laundry in public. So obviously Florida State's AD a, f- a couple months ago was kind of 
sounded the alarm first about the $30 million gap and something's got to be done pointing toward unequal revenue sharing. On the eve of these meetings, Brett McMurphy tweets that there's a, what was the phrase? Magnificent seven, seven schools that are trying to basically get out of the grant of rights. And so that then becomes the dominant storyline of the, of the ACC meetings. Um, you know, they're locked into this grant of rights for 20 years. You know, the, the, the two super conferences are emerging. Clearly, if you're Florida State, if you're Clemson, maybe if you're Miami, if you can find a way to get out, you're going to get out. I'm not so sure about the UNC, NC State, Virginia, Virginia Tech part of it. Although the Big Ten, I think, has often ha- has long, going back to Delaney, had their eyes on more East Coast expansion. Um, but what I can't tell is, is this a serious, like we're trying to break up the conference thing? Or is this a bunch of saber rattling? They know they can't get out of the grant of rights and they just want to do the unequal revenue sharing. Well, I, I think it's, um, we're still like, basically the way I think about this is we're still in the exact same position we've been for the last two years. Like the second that OU in Texas to the SEC happened, everyone wondered how airtight this grant of rights was for the ACC schools. You know, I was talking to someone um, heading into the ACC meetings who put it this way to me. They said, if it was simple, everyone would have already done it. Like everyone would have gotten out of the grant of rights and actually fully explored their options already. And so I, I remember thinking that that first summer as well, but this was before USC, UCLA, but like, okay, like if, if it's able to be challenged, someone will do it. Clemson or Florida State will do it. And so we're two years in, no one's done that yet. And the rumblings coming into ACC meetings were that, you know, maybe a school or multiple were getting closer to being ready to do it, which then another person was like, wanting to do, wanting to challenge the grant of rights is different than your lawyers like saying, we're doing it and like actually filing something. So the idea that multiple schools have gone to Greensboro and examined this document. Like we knew that lawyers for these schools have been looking at this. You know, if you had any conversation with anyone in the ACC, they talk about that. So I think what was different was um, Brett made up a name for this group of seven schools because that was not an actual name of what they were. And I think it presented it as like a block and a collective group that it was like, oh, people started worried that this group was about to secede from the rest of the conference, um, where the way that I had been described to me, even using the number of like seven schools, was that people had been looking at things independently. They had been, you know, talked to each other, met with each other in different uh, capacities. But I still think we're, we're kind of in the same boat we were two weeks ago, where nothing really changes until someone actually challenges it. Someone actually does it. And I don't know if we're closer to that happening sooner or closer to 2036. Like we still don't know what the dollar figure would be, the actual cost of getting out of this thing early. The only dollar figure we know would be the exit fee, but we don't know what it would cost to get your own media rights back because as of right now, like you could leave the conference, but the ACC would own the rights to your home games. So that's why you're stuck. Um, So it's such an interesting dynamic because it's like, obviously it's this 20 year media rights deal that's locked everyone in. And we've talked about it so many times, how other leagues are going to leapfrog them or the big 10, the SEC are going to have that $30 million gap by the end of the decade, year over year for their peer schools. But it's also possible that this grant of rights is so airtight that like no one can get out and these schools are not available for poaching. 
Well, ESPN made this deal, right? That is basically bound them. And by the way, if you're going to, to, to make another TV deal, I mean, is ESPN going to be bidding it against itself in some way also on this? Like when the, the term, I don't know, the magnificent seven, the itchy seven, whatever you want to call it. Um, the idea that all of these seven, if they were to separate, I'm not sure that that's going to be, oh, let, let's say the Granite Rights wasn't even there, where it's like these other schools, which, you know, Clemson has been terrific in football in the last decade. Miami and Florida State have been mostly down. I know like last year was a good year for Florida State, but for the most part, towards the end of Jimbo Fisher, they've been down. The other schools, I don't want to say they're irrelevant TV properties when it comes to football, but they're not, they're not OU in Texas either. They're not close to it. And they're certainly not close to Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State as brands when it comes to moving TV money. So like, you know, their options, I feel like we all, especially Stu, love to talk about realignment and everything. But some of these things, it's like, okay, what's really real here in terms of it's one thing to, to, to talk about it and to give it oxygen. It's another thing to go, okay, like how viable would this actually be? even if they could get out, even if, which obviously those contracts are written a certain way and it doesn't really, you know, I, I feel like we're, we're giving it more oxygen. I'd like to pivot to one of those, you know, one of those things that came out last week and, and Nicole and our colleague Max Olson did a story where we mentioned a football program that has been horrible. It just wasn't God awful last year when Jim Mora took over, but it's still UConn football. The idea of UConn football in the Big 12 Nicole, uh, before I ask you how viable you think that actually could be, like, man, I was shocked that they that they got out of the dumpster last year, but they're doing it against largely inferior competition relative to the rest of college football. If you go into the Big Twelve, where now that Kansas doesn't stink anymore, I mean, the way they the way they recruit, where their base is, it's hard to think they would be more than three and nine every year, right? So. I get it. They just won a national title in basketball. They're great in women's basketball. But is this something anybody should really think about? Well, I think anyone that's on the Big 12's radar is worth thinking about and exploring. But just because they're looking or talking to someone doesn't mean that they're going to do it. But I'm with you. I think the football piece is a major, major question mark. I mean, I was at the press conference when the Big Ten, or sorry, the Big East announced that UConn was coming back, and that was at Madison Square Garden. Huge celebration. I'm pretty sure even uh, the dog was there. Like, I'm pretty sure even uh, the Husky was actually physically there. And it was this whole presentation and celebration about like UConn being back where they belonged, and it was so important to the school, the fans, everyone's identity that they got to be playing their Northeast rivals in basketball like that they, they played georgetown and syracuse and and all of these types of schools villanova um and they just felt like that was worth taking football out of a fbs conference to go independent and the big question was do you drop down to fcs i remember doing a story on two different contracts that they signed around that time that had a provision in there that they could get out of the game it was like syracuse and somebody else they could get out of the game if, if UConn dropped down to FCS, there was that there's been that assumption, but there's also been a lot of investment in facilities and state funds that have gone into things to, to work on that football product. So I, the program. So I also get that, 
But I think the way that I think about Brett Yormark's interest in certain schools is also interest in their places. We, we know that he thinks basketball is undervalued, but I think he also believes that, that UConn would deliver the New York market. And I know that we've rewired ourselves after, you know, realignment a decade ago where it was about markets and it was, you know, okay, so the big Ten's going into New York and DC, they're going to get BTN on a bunch of cable packages. Now, we talk about the value of individual brands and would people pay to watch Oklahoma play Georgia, et cetera, et cetera. But I think Brett Yormark is looking at this with this pro sports background as, well, maybe you can get in on a place or a school that others don't think is as valuable, build it up, and then it will be more valuable later. And being in New York could do that. So that's where I think about it. I don't know that it necessarily makes sense. And a lot of people on the other side of things, the big East and in the AAC where they first came from, don't think it would make sense for UConn at all. But if you get an invite and the money is so much more, I mean, people are going to take it. I just don't know that the big 12 can get to the point of consensus support for something like this, that really is a bit out of the blue. And, and like you said, Bruce, I mean, that football program is not in great shape. Can I ask before you jump in, Stu, one thing on, on this, cause obviously, you know, it dawned on me that um, both Nicole and I grew up in the big East footprint obviously a little different times, but still, you know, that's where we're from. And we know what UConn basketball is like. We've all lived in that area where the Big East tournament was a was awesome and everything else like this. The core of what the what the Big 12 is are those Texas schools, right? I get it. They're really good in college basketball as a as a league. Um, I mean, how much do they sit there and look at it going like it's one year? Like, I'm curious, like they were so bad before Jim Mora got there. It wasn't like they went, you know, nine and three last year, but they were at least respectable. If they don't, if Jim Mora doesn't have 2022 and they were just what they were national title in basketball aside, you know, all the, you know, great women's basketball history. If they were what they were coming off of, you know, 2021, are you think that we're having this discussion? Well, I, I, is well, it possible, Nicole, that we're, that, First of all, your mark, we know, like you said, basketball guy. And I think he's just kind of always wheeling and dealing, right? Obviously, he's made a he's he has not been shy about wanting to go get West Coast schools. We know he's talked to Gonzaga for basketball. Is it possible that this is a basketball only discussion with UConn? Because I agree with you guys, like UConn football in the Big 12, I just can't imagine Big 12 members would be on board with that. And and even and even if they were, I just think it would be a disaster. They have nothing in common with those other schools. I I don't I'm, think they would be competitive. I am pretty sure, and I think this was in our story that your mark's been on the record saying that, you know, if a, if a school has football, that it would be they would take football, like it okay. would take all the sports. I, I also think um, the idea of basketball only makes sense, and we talk about it like as members of the media. But I also don't know that other people would operate that way or. Um, there's like even an NCAA bylaw that would need to be looked at to, to figure out if you could make a move like that. Um, like for Gonzaga, like no one else is going to take all the rest of their sports. They can't go basketball only. Um, so, when so you there's, do you think it's more, more viable than Gonzaga? Well, I think that it still depends on, I, I don't know that there would be enough support for these things, but I think the idea of getting, the New York market and to answer the question about like, what if the football program was in even more dire straits? 
I think the idea and the thinking is that if you pump in big 12 money, if there's a significant increase in like what the athletic department is working with, that you could elevate the football program. And I, I understand all of the other issues that come with that about like natural recruiting footprint, being so far away from everyone else, all of those things. But I think that's the thinking behind why they believe it's like kind of like buying low and eventually selling high is like, you know, it can't get worse. And what if you pump some money and some resources and associate, you know, that you'd be playing the Jim Delaney Rutgers teams. strategy. Yeah. So again, it feel, it's a weird concept to think about because we haven't really been talking about like, Oh, it gets you into this city or this market in the but latest rounds of real players, football players in New Jersey than Connecticut. It's not even close. No. Right. Right. I mean, there's, there's legit big time high school football programs in New Jersey that, that there's just a lot more talent. I'm not saying you're going to corner the market on it if you're Rutgers, but I don't think that's a fair, I don't think that's a realistic comparison of Rutgers is to what UConn football is. Yeah. yeah. I so said again, on Twitter, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say again, like, I don't know, like we know that, as you mentioned, Stu, like Brett, your Mark, likes to put stuff out there. He likes to explore ideas. He likes, he's been not shy about expansion, believing that they can get, you know, multiple PAC 12 schools that, that they're more appealing as a destination. So I, I think some of this is just like that full exploration of all of those ideas and all of those beliefs is like, of course you would still be looking to see what else is out there and what type of value they could bring. But these decisions do have to get support from all of the schools within. And I do think there are a lot of, uh, a lot of these schools that are in the new big 12 are very happy with the four that they just added and want to kind of get to that world and not really necessarily feel the need to add more. But that's like the tension between a commissioner who's thinking more outside of the box, coming at this from different perspectives and prioritizing different things. Last topic we wanted to get to, it came out last week that, no, it was the last week or the week before. At So when you guys were at the Phoenix meetings, like, you know, the Big 12, the Pac-12, they have meetings with the TV partners. And at both conferences, they decided they were going to do more in-game stuff like co coach interviews during the game, mic'd up, players and coaches mic'd up. You know, just basically just the general idea that these are entertainment properties and they want to try to make them more entertaining, more engaging to the fans. And we're um, seeing, we are seeing this, like, obviously you see it in people see the Greg Popovich in NBA, but that happens. What was interesting to me, and I'll be honest, I have not watched as much major league baseball as I used to, but so yesterday or last night I'm watching Mets against Cleveland in baseball and they're interviewing the Mets second baseman in the, in the, you know, the bottom half of the inning, just walk in between pitches, everything, almost like he's talking like, and baseball is obviously different. You can't do that in football, like, you know, interview a player while in between, you know, plays, if, especially if they're on the field. Um, but it is fascinating because we've seen this, like it, the masters did it. It was really good with Max Homa. I think it was pretty good with Rory. Um, but again, those sports are different than football where, you know, you you know, we see it with XFL, we've seen it with USFL in game where they're just trying to ramp up the fan experience. Um, I think this is, can be a really good thing, but you know, for everyone who said, Oh, that was a crappy interview with the coach. I'm not getting anything out of it. 
Uh, most times you're probably not going to, but I mean, do you guys, as, as people who watch a lot of games, whether it's college football or not, are you turned off by the idea that they're trying it? I am interested to see where they try it. Um, because like you said, I actually also, I caught the golf ones live during the masters and I thought they were really interesting and really insightful, especially like, was really interesting. And really he was, and it, it was like right after he had just had a bad couple of holes yeah. and he was really interesting in the moment, trying to process it and shake it off. And I thought that was, it was like a walk and talk. Um, I don't know that in college football, you're going to get anything really beyond like, kind of like just yelling at someone to make a tackle or yelling at someone for this or cheering for something else. Like sometimes when we've had like coaches mic'd up in basketball, it's not that interesting. Um, Ed cool. By the way, and again, you know, way more college hoops than me, but like, um, I remember because it's, you know, so my coworkers, I'm watching big East basketball and Ed Cooley mic'd up at Providence was really interesting. Now, agree, disagree, I don't know. Like, because that might be the minority. Like, if I'm really trying for this, there's certain people, like, I would be really surprised if Deion Sanders is not going to be a big part of this. And if you get good, and you're going to get good Deion Sanders, because that's pretty much what you get when you may not love everything he says, but it'll be interesting. I think the idea of them miking up somebody who may not have much to say, you'll be like, eh, who cares? But I think if you get the 10% of that, I think it's going to, I think it, it, it'll go a long way. Yeah. I think it just, you just need to, to buy into the point where like they're putting the cameras and the microphones in actually interesting situations that are going to have actual candid, like honest reactions, because that's just where I worry. I mean, you know, you guys know college football coaches are incredibly paranoid. I've done stories. You guys have done stories where like you're in the box, like in the coach's box during a game. And like people, you, the, the best stuff is when people forget that you're there and then they just kind of act about their business normally. My, my worry is just that they'll, they'll say that this stuff is all this increased access, but if it's just for show and it's not actually letting us learn anything, then I, I think it's more just like a press release. But I do hope, I, I hope that we'll get stuff like the master's walk and talk and um, some real honesty from some of these coaches because there's a lot of interesting, like the two leagues that you mentioned have a lot of very interesting personalities in the coaches. I guess I'm in the minority here. You know, they, I, I know watching the NBA playoffs, I don't feel like you get anything out of the Steve Kerr, you know, eight minute timeout interview. Um, and if you guys remember, they did it in the NCAA tournament this year, I think for the first time, like not just the halftime interviews, they did them uh, each coach once a half, I believe they would do them coming out of it. They didn't, they didn't say anything interesting. I think it's, I think if it's new to them, like I would ask you this. So when the one of those random years where Northwestern won the the Big Ten West, our crew did that game. I think they won at Iowa, if I'm not mistaken. And he basically Pat Fitz made made a point of like, hey, make sure you got your microphone in here for this. You know, like kind of he's good. Like he no no surprise, but like he would be good at this. Like, I think Dion would be really, really good at this. Dabo would be good at I, it. I want, I mean, if we can just get more of the pregame and like halftime, honestly. Yeah, that's what I, I Like, honestly, want. what's really happening in that locker room, I'm all in. The, the forced stuff, like you guys are talking about, like pulling a coach aside in the middle of, you know, a timeout just to get a couple questions. I don't think we're going to get much there, but I would love to get more actual eavesdrop access, yeah. yeah eavesdropping eavesdropping into the locker room we once had all one right i believe we've taken up all, 
we've taken up all of Nicole's available time. I told her it would be nowhere near the top of the hour, and it turned out it is the top of the hour. So we hit some good topics here. Uh, always follow Nicole, Nicole at Nicole Auerbach. Always follow her work on Twitter. Also, she's covering our the the women's softball tournament right now. I know I'm into it. Nicole is even more into it. Uh, she's blogging for us. She'll be covering the Women's College World Series. So if, like me, you're a closet uh, softball fan, uh, be sure to check out her work. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Nicole. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So post your job for free at linkedin.com audible. That's linkedin.com audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Bruce. New wrinkle here on the Audible. So, you know, we always ask for email questions. And we say a specific email address. The response rate recently has been too low. So we're switching it up. And what I did is I just sent out a tweet while we were recording asking for questions. And that that may be the way we do it going forward because it got a lot of responses. So we're going to start with Adam Bradford, a question following up on our lead story today. Who are your top candidates for the USC AD job and how long do you expect the position to be open before a hire is made? I would expect it to be open for, for quite some time being I can't imagine them pivoting from this um, hasty ouster of Mike Bone and parting the ways where you don't even have an interim to being able to vet and really um, attract somebody who you think is going to be able to take this thing going forward. Now, having said that, I think there's a couple of candidates I would look at out of the gate maybe. And I again, I don't know if they would be interested or not. Um, one is an AD I know a lot of people think very highly of at Pitt, and that's Heather Like. 
Um, she is one of the many who are, who came from, you know, has Ohio state, uh, roots, but has done a really good job there. Another one is a PAC 12 AD and it's Jen Cohen. She made a really oh, good, that's hire. what I was going to say. She made a really good hire in Kalen DeBoer. And, um, I think would be somebody, I don't, I don't know if she'd leave cause she has pretty strong roots up there. There's a wild card in this to me too. It's a it's another person who's got a lot of experience as an AD. Is at a big money school, but also has spent time out here in Los Angeles, and that's Ross Bjork. I don't know if he would be interested in leaving where he's at. Um, but again, I think all three of those people are much more accomplished than the person they'd be following. I think that this job is a lot more attractive than it was when Mike Bone got the job because it's not because it's going to the big 10 right so you're going to be you know like you mentioned ross bjork does he go from the sec to the big 10 not necessarily but if you're heather like and you're at Pitt, and the acc is as we talked about is a is a kind of a mess right now well that seems a no-brainer to me if you're jen cohen and you're worried about whether washington's going to get stuck in a in a you know watered down pac 12 maybe that's intriguing to you another Current Pac-12 AD, I think worth mentioning, is Pat Chun. He's at Washington State. He spent time at Ohio State. So he's got Big Ten experience. I think I think whoever this person is, obviously there's going to be a big emphasis, I would assume, on doing things the right way, right? Like that's, frankly, what Carol Fult was supposedly hired to do was to clean this thing up. And so this is why my, the Mike Bone situation is an egg on her face. Um, so you're going to, you know, this is going to be one extensive background search. I, I would, I would say that much. Um, the question is, does it have to be, and I, I kind of think it does. I think you need somebody who has experience in the SEC or big 10 because you're moving into a whole other animal here. Yeah. I think the, you know, a big thing honestly is, is, is this person, somebody who can conduct themselves, not just in a professional manner, but can be very buttoned up in the details. Right. And we'll see. Like I said, this is USC is going to have to have a lot of scrutiny as it goes through this process, given where they're emerging from this. Doesn't say they will, because we've seen this, you know, we've seen this time and time again from them. But that's a legit question. OK, how about Emmett Ryan, who asks for an under the radar team that will be fun to watch this coming season? Fun more than specifically good. I am going to go way under the radar. It is a group of five school that is going into the AAC, and that is Charlotte. And here's why I am very interested in them. I know why you're interested. <laughs> well, it's not just the Biff Pogey part. I was around Biff a lot at Michigan last year, and he was a wildly successful high school coach in um, in Maryland. But it is the we talked. You know, we talked a lot about Dion and the number of transfers he's brought in. I've never seen, I cannot remember another program that has brought in so many transfers and so many guys have roots from Biff Pogey's old high school program, St. Francis, which was a powerhouse. But they've got so many dudes who are coming in from Power Five to play in this program. You know, the most notable one is Ayabi Oki or Ayabi Anoma, as he, as he was known when he was a five-star guy that went to Alabama. He bounced around. He played well at Michigan last year as a really gifted edge rusher but then there are a bunch of other guys who came from came from michigan as well to follow him on defense they have a lot of athletes and the program was terrible last year i suspect 
you know, I don't know if they'll be good enough to make a bowl game, but I think they've upgraded the athleticism so much where I could see them getting to maybe even just maybe to bowl eligibility. Again, it's not going to be easy. They have to play at Mich- at Maryland, at Florida, at SMU. Those are all, you know, those are all programs that Charlotte wasn't even close to before that. So I'm interested to see how they do going forward. It's a team that won three games last year. And, you know, uh, again, there there's some talent there, but I think it's a big, big uh, upgrade on the roster. You? Yeah, so <clears throat> Scott Docterman and I did a story that went up Monday about where we predict what the week one to three TV schedules are going to look like. Um, and part of the reason we did part of the reason we did that is the new Big Ten contracts. But also you've got the new teams moving up to the Big 12. They're going to get more exposure. And then there's a ripple effect from that. And one team that's going to benefit from it is UTSA. I know people realize UTSA is good. They have been for the last couple of years. They were hard to see their games. You know, they were in Conference USA. Most of those games are on ESPN+. Plus. They're moving up to the AAC, which has an exclusive deal with ESPN. And I think you're going to see a lot of them in the first four weeks because they're playing at Houston. That's going to be a Big 12 contract game. They're playing a Friday night game against Army, and then they're playing at Tennessee on September 23rd. Frank Harris, their great quarterback, is back for his seventh season. So if you haven't had a chance to check out the Roadrunners the last couple of years, I think you're going to get several opportunities in the first four weeks. They're an ex- they run an exciting offense. Like I said, they've got a great quarterback that probably doesn't get nearly enough attention. Um, that's my answer. All right. The last question is from Brian Drake. When reporters say things like, quote, we know tampering happens, end quote, is there any incentive of reports to actually reporters? I think he means to actually prove that or it'll be a thing that's forever said and accepted. It's a good question. Um, I don't know that there is much incentive because I don't know that tampering, maybe, maybe if it were like a really marquee player, but for the most part, I don't consider tampering to be scandalous. So, you know, if you get a tip uh, of something really salacious, you're going to pursue that. If it's tamp, first of all, we talked about this, like from off your story with Max last week. Unless there's emails, unless there's screenshots, twi- DMs, you're never going to be able to prove it for the most part. And even if you did prove it, I don't know that. I mean, there's been, I looked this up at some point. There's been a very, very small handful of tampering charges that actually like made it to the NCAA actually like proved it. And the penalties were very minor. So if a coach got found to be tampering, I don't I think he'd be maybe suspended for a game. It wouldn't it wouldn't, you know bring down the program you know so you know it's not it's not high on my priority list also as we said um last week one of the things is there's layers of tampering right you know if you're pat narduzian you're really ticked off about jordan addison going to usc but if if the mechanism of how jordan addison came to usc's attention or or kind of that thing ramped up was because Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback, who's from the same part of the country as Jordan Addison, and they had conversations. Um, there's a layer there that it's different than if a coach is DMing him and saying, hey, we we really think you and Caleb would make a great pairing for us. Come out here. We can do X, Y, and Z for you NIL-wise. I mean, that's different. Um, you know, one of the things that we had in our story was a reference 
to a player who this particular coach at a group of five school thinks has all American potential and went to a bigger program. And this coach is convinced based on what he was told by the player when the player asked him about the portal. And this is before the portal was even open. And that coach said, yeah, we told our compliance person, we don't think anything's going to happen with it. You know, I, I think if that story, if there were, you know, if that coach decided we're going to put names on this and just kind of embarrass them, I don't, I doubt anything significant is going to come from it. And this coach felt the same way. So while I think it's, it's probably juicy Twitter fodder, I'm not sure it's much more beyond that. I, I don't know. I mean, one of the things that we discussed in this story coming out of it, um, especially on this podcast was like, okay, the things we're getting into is to inform and, and also entertain our audience. But like you said, you know, a lot of times these punishments are, even if they come, they're not, they're not significant. And at the end of the day, if the player wants to go to, to go to a different school, you know, they're not being forced to do that. They're choosing to do that. I think there was a time 10 years ago, plus longer than that. And I was certainly part of this where the media was kind of like an extension of the NCAA enforcement department. And we were trying to track down rules breakers and whatnot. And we, you and I have talked about this many times, the whole, like, um, what do you want to, like Jerry Sandusky changed everything. Like the idea of what is a scandal. In exactly. Sports exactly. Changed to where um, something like that, something like Larry Nasser, something like Robert Anderson, the doctor at Michigan, like those are scandals. Um, even the one we just talked about, maybe on a more, you know, uh, micro scale, but Mike Bone, you know, apparently uh, many, many accusations of, 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 you know, unwanted behavior leading to the ouster of a very prominent athletic director. And I think we've just gotten less and less the, the capacity to be outraged about tampering or guys getting take somebody out to dinner or somebody well, not out. even even like you know the i'm very interested in the collectives and the you know we obviously we we paid close attention when it was a 13.5 million dollar deal for somebody that fell through but the stuff that's going on on a day-to-day basis i i'm not I, you know part excuse me that i'm not outraged that a kid got a hundred thousand dollars and to, to go in the portal and switch schools so now i realize that it's different when you're a report when you don't have a skin in the game, like if you're a fan of a team whose star player gets poached, yes, of course you're going to be upset about that. And you might say, Hey, wh- why are we just tolerating this? Why, can- why can't we, you know, bring these people down? And I would just say, it's not really our job. It's NCAA's job to do that. And uh, if they really want to get serious about it, they've got to figure out a way to enforce it. All right. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com or send it to Stu on his timeline. And hopefully... Well, that's what we're going to try to do from now on, Bruce. When we're recording, we will send out a tweet. And and that way, your questions will be real time. Um, I like... We got some good good questions this week. So I think we should should make that a uh, weekly tradition. Next week's podcast will not go out on Monday. It'll go out middle of the week. Um because of a certain guest we have in mind and because of my own schedule. We'll see you next time.